0: on v the Sports Betting Network. It is our number three of the look at right here on v the Sports Betting Network. Big thanks once again to Mackenzie Kramer of the Daily Wager, who wound up joining me in our number two. And also a big thanks to Jim Root, who wound up joining me in our number one. He does a great job over there at the three-man weave. So we've had a pair of great guests join the show today, and now it is that time. Now that it is midnight Pacific out here in lovely Las Vegas, if you're listening to the replay, it's technically 3 a.m. out here in lovely Las Vegas. But with that said, now that it is officially Friday to try to get you guys as much money as humanly possible on this Friday, we're going to be taking a look at some college Well, Going to give you guys a little bit with regards to the NBA as well. And then if you want to missing it, what I wanted giving out in our number two with regards to my DK nation picking college basketball. We'll be hitting upon that at the end of the show as well. But how about if we wanted to take a look at the pair of games that we've got out there in the Big Ten for this college basketball Fridays? We're gonna start out with the Iowa versus Nebraska game. 895, 896 on the banging board. Got Nebraska find themselves in pretty much all spots aside from where I'm at right now at circa an eleven and a half point underdog. Totals anywhere between one sixty-one and one sixty-one and a half. It is a relatively high total and you wound up seeing both of these teams go well over the total in the first game as you wound up having Nebraska get darn near 100 points in that one. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more bottled up. We were talking about this with Mackenzie Kramer and that the first time around that these two teams wound up playing, you wound up having north of 80 possessions in that game. I do still think though that with the way that Nebraska is playing defense, there's just not really much taking an under in this spot and then And an Iowa team that they rank outside the top 120 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis themselves. Iowa, they rank at the top 10 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. And Nebraska, they they do an okay job on offense. You've got a guy in Alonzo Verge who turns the ball over a little bit less at home than he does on the road. And it's a Nebraska team that they rank 287th with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. A little bit better at home, giving up right around 12.7 points fewer per 100 at home rather than on the road. But certainly... Still a bunch of which they leave a whole lot to be desired on that end of it. And then you take a look at the flip side for Iowa, Keegan Murray, 23 and a half points, eight boards, two blocks per game. He is a set sheet sufferer. Jordan Bohannon has really been able to find it from three point range. And it is an Iowa team that despite the fact that they don't necessarily play a ton of defense, they are able to generate right around eight and a half seals per game. That is something that you do want to take note of. But I do think that Nebraska has a little bit of value here. We've seen it with home underdogs. They've had a little bit of a tough time with it, but We've also seen with home underdogs, a team like Oregon State, do we wind up seeing just wrap up their game Thursday evening, be able to give a team like a USC some tough times with it. So I do think that Nebraska is going to be able to hold up on their home floor. I'm willing to take the points. I do think that getting back a guy in Trey McGowan's who was banged up for much of the season, is going to be able to help out a little bit. He's someone that has been able to give you right around seven points, five rebounds per game. So, should be able to make a little bit of an impact there. in Nebraska, not necessarily the greatest three-point shooting team, but at the same time, this is an Iowa team that, even in the first time around that these two teams wound up playing against a Nebraska team, that let's call it what it is, they're not great. They did wind up giving up 75 points themselves. So it is a Iowa team that certainly has rewards with that aspect. Philip Pabacha should be able to do a solid job down low for Iowa in this game. He's been able to give you six rebounds per game, but the guy that I think is really going to be a little bit of an X-factor here for Nebraska and keep them... Live is Derek Walker. He's made been able to average for the year right around 9.6 rebounds per game. He's been a guy that has been a little bit more pedestrian in recent games with regards to scoring, but has really been able to kick it up on the glass as well. And I think that that's going to be really important because last time these two teams wound up playing, he did have 14 and six in that game. And I think that he could deliver something similar in this spot as well with Iowa. It's a team that they play relatively up-tempo. Nebraska, they're playing with their hair on fire. They rank in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game. So, I do think that you're going to get another up-tempo game in this one. I wound up saying my total at 163. I'm willing to go over. And with Nebraska, I'm willing to take the points here. I know that Nebraska has not necessarily been great at being able to cover spreads this season, but I do think that we've went up a little bit too lofty with an Iowa team that doesn't necessarily play a lot of defense. So, take a look at the over, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. With regards to Penn State, they're a very good home team, and they're going to be playing host to Northwestern on Fridays. This is 873, 874 on the betting board. With Penn State, you're finding them between a 1 and a 2-point favorite, depending on where you shop. And with regards to this total, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 128.5 and a 129. This actually opened up at a 127. I made my number 128 personally, so you're at 128.5 to 129. I am willing to take a look at it and under. Got a Penn State team that they have done a really good job of being able to slow games down to an almighty crawl. With regards to possessions per game, 348 out of 358 D one teams, So he have been able to do a great job of bearing down with that respect. Northwestern's a little bit more of a mid tempo team among your 358 D one teams. They're more around a hundredth. They've been slowing down a little bit more recently. You've got a guy in Boo Booey, who I really like to able to do a solid job and be able to dish out right around five assists per game. So I do think that he's going to do a good job for our Northwestern team that they just don't turn the ball over whatsoever. With regards to turnovers per game, they turn it over fewer than 10 times. That's in the top 10 in all of college basketball. And then for Penn State, you do have a guy that I like in jail and pick it. Pickett has really been able to do a good job of picking his spots as he's been able to give this team 14 points, right around four boards, four assists per game. And then you've got John Arara as well. Arara is a guy that, for this Penn State team, has been able to give you right around nine and a half rebounds per game. You should be able to do a good job against a Northwestern team that, does not have a single guy that gives you more than six and a half rebounds per game. Now that guy is Pete Nance. And Pete Nance is one of the more versatile players in all of college basketball. He stands six foot ten. If he was on a team that was a little bit more confident with their coaching, I think that he would be emerging as one of the top players in all of college basketball. 15 points, six-half boards, being able to chip in there two and a half assists per game. In true road games, is shooting 48% from three-part range overall for the year, 43.8%. So he's been able to do his job. He's been able to give you double figures in each out of the last four games. When it comes to this Northwestern team, though, they just don't do a good job of being able to layer support around him. You've had Chase Odish. He'll give you right around 11.5 points per game. But for Penn State, same session, shooting 42% from three-point range, I think he's going to be big. He's the guy that's able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game. So I do think that he's going to be able to step up big for this team now. With the guys like Miles Dredd, I've been waiting to see a little bit more out of them. But... At the same time, you take a look at this Penn State team. They're in five against the spread in true home games. And you just take a look at what they've been able to do in their true home games. They've been able to really emerge. They've been able to cover each out of their last, I believe it's now four home games. So they've been able to do a solid job there. It actually extends a little bit further as I believe that in conference play, they've been able to cover all but one of their home games. So it's been really interesting to take a look at that. And in all these games, they are really getting the tempo it's a Penn State team that they have scored 70 points or fewer in every one of their games that they wound up playing that just harebrained game against Iowa that went to multiple overtimes on their own four. And at the same time, they've done a good job of holding up on defense as they've allowed 70 points or fewer in all but one of those games ever since they wound up playing that harebrained game against Iowa about a month or so ago. I do think that Penn State is going to do a good job of being able to control the tempo in this game. This one has crossed through line that I want to making it with the total, my total, I wound up setting it at a 128. So now that we're seeing a 129, I'm willing to go under. And when it comes to Northwestern, just a team that when you wind up seeing the turn of the calendar. So from 2020 to 2021 last year, this year from 2021 to 2022, they just seem to go into a little bit more fade mode. And I think that that is the case once again for this Northwestern team. I'm willing to lay it with Penn State, willing to lay up to two with them. And with my total, I'm going to be taking a look at an under as well. With the Midwest, you do have some relatively solid basketball that is going to be played on Friday. We wound up hitting on the two Big Ten games, but how about if we wind up going out there to the Mac? It is the return on the Mac for these two teams. As we've got eight sixty-seven, eight sixty-eight, Ohio gonna be playing with Akron. Akron is finding themselves as a seven-point underdog. Your turn on this game. We're finding it anywhere between a 132 and a 134. So this one is a little bit all over the place. And I did wind up saying my line at seven. If we wind up seeing a seven and a seven exactly, I'd be much more willing to take the points with Akron rather than lay them with Ohio. Ohio's been a team that's been able to do a relatively solid job on defense. But Akron, they do a great job of just being able to control the games themselves. Akron is in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions per game. Ohio, very much a mid-tempo team. They're right around 170th. With this regard, but you do take a look at the Akron much and they are coming off of being able to have a big, giant eighty-point outburst against Bowling Green. But that's because Bowling Green, I swear, that they would allow darn near seventy points to the Hortonville High School Polar Bears. That's my alma mater out there in the great state of Wisconsin. That's just how bad they have been on defense recently. But if you do take a look at this Akron team. You've got a pair of forwards, Ali Ali, along with Enrique Freeman, and they do various things. You've got Ali Ali, a guy that doesn't necessarily rebound a lot, but Gives you 13.5 points per game and shoots over 40% from three. Meanwhile, Enrique Freeman is not a guy that's going to be shooting threes by any stretch of the imagination, but has done a good job. Being able to give this team 11.5 rebounds per game now. He's the only guy on the roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game. And then when it comes to Ohio, you got a pair of guys in Ben Vanderplas, coupled with Jason Carter. They combined to be able to give you about 13.5 rebounds per game. So maybe they will do a very solid job with that aspect. But you do also take a look at what you're able to get out of this Ohio bunch from the backcourt end. You do have to like what you've been able to see out of more of the ancillary pieces around Mark Sears. You've had someone like a Ben Roderick, who's been able to give you right around 7.5 points per game, and then you do take a look at Sears. 19 and a half points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists, very solid 3-point shooter, but at the same time, depth is a little bit of an issue when it comes to this Ohio team. Akron is going to need to shape up a little bit more with their free throw shooting. They only shoot right around 67% at the charity stripe, right? but they do a solid job of be able to force a couple turnovers. This is an Ohio team that they've been very stout on defense this season with regards to points allowed on a purpose-session basis. They do rank in the top 75 in all of college basketball, so I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a lower-scoring slog. I did why I'm setting this total at a 129 and a half, but this is an Akron team that they've done a good job of we'll be able to hang in games. I do think that someone like a Brian Trimble is going to be able to step up in the backcourt. He and Xavier Casaneda have been able to pair up and shoot in the mid thirties from three-point range Akron as a whole they shoot 35% from three Ohio around 33 and a half 34% from distance I think that Akron is going to be able to keep themselves alive. take a look at the under and we'll take seven plus here with Akron we've taken a look at college basketball here in the first segment in the next segment we'll take a look at some NBA right here on v the sports betting network this is the look ahead on v the sports betting network This is the look ahead right here on Vison the Sports Bank Network. Greg Goops Pearson filling in for Scott Seidenberg. You saw Scott on the nightcap doing an absolutely terrific job on there. And now it is my turn to give you guys a little bit of a chance to be able to get to the window on this Friday. Always happy to be on this show. Always happy to be working with my wonderful producer, Jason Kahn, doing absolutely amazing work, helping me out over here. And time for me to help you guys out with a little bit of NBA as well, as we've got some action that is going to be going down on the hardwood after we wind up seeing these teams I have a, a little bit of a break with the All-Star break. They're now back in action, and we do have some relatively solid games that are going to be going down for Friday as we wind up seeing things get really started on Thursday with some of these teams coming off of their hiatus, and now I do think that it's going to be really fascinating to see what we wind up getting in the battle for L.A. The Clippers and the Lakers are in a very tight line right now. You're finding the Lakers anywhere between a pick-em to a one-point favorite, and your total is going to be anywhere between 123 and 123 and a half. Always reiterate that I am someone that, when it comes to the NBA, I really look a lot more in-game rather than prior to the game just because you do have so much volatility, you do have so many runs. The team that you wind up betting on in the NBA, it feels like at some point they're going to be down by double figures, and at some point they're going to be up by double figures, and then it always comes down right onto the line that the bookmakers wind up making. They're very good at what they do, and at the same time, how they wind up getting there is a little bit of a roundabout way because you do wind up having these teams that they are so streaky in the way that the game flow winds up going, but when it comes to this Lakers team, I'm just completely out on them. I have been out on them all season long now. I will say they've been good at home this year. They are 18 and 13 at home straight up on the road. They have been a big, giant fade, but it's a Clippers team that I think is going to be really interesting to see what you get moving forward out of them because And Reggie Jackson has really been the main scorer for this team with 16 and a half points per game. And that's because you've had Paul George be out with injury for much of the year, as we know, Kawhi Leonard, he's still rehabbing. So that has caused for the Clippers seem to be a little bit new look from what they were expecting when they wound up making all of those big free agent signings because well, right around, none of them are out there on the floor. So now you're looking to guys like Nicholas Batum to be able to hold it down. Now, I do like the fact that they've got Robert Covington on the, on the roster Covington has always been a good mixer and shaker, a guy that is having a little bit of a down year this year, but you take a look at him throughout his career. A little bit of a six foot seven Joker player that shoots for his career about 36, 37% from three point range. I do think that he's going to be able to do some relatively solid things here for the Clippers. Wound we'll up averaging right around seven and a half points per game earlier this season for the Portland Trail Blazers, And quite frankly, I'm not sure why the Trail Blazers wound up trading him away the guy that is just a master of doing a little bit of everything so I do think that he's going to be able to make a little bit of an impact and when it comes to what you're able to get out of the other Clippers Terrence Mann is someone I think is going to be able to have a relatively solid second half of the season he's went out for 20 plus points in three out of his last four games wound we'll up having a little bit of a slow start to the season but has really been able to pick it up recently here in the month of February he's averaging 13 and a half points shipping in their six boards per game after he wound up having a like I said Brutal start to the year in November. He was averaging right around 8.5 points per contest, and for that matter, he was just not necessarily shooting well from three-point range as well. A guy that, overall for the year, has been shooting in the low 30s from distance. I do think that he's going to be able to pick that up a little bit, and when it comes to the LA Lakers, honestly, even though I love to be able to fade them, I do think that this might be a relatively solid spot for them, because, I mean, I just take a look at the Clippers without having Paul George out there, and it has been a little bit tough for them, and then You take a look at this Lakers team, no question. You do have a lot of ailments with regards to this team. It appears as though you're probably going to be without LeBron James. He is questionable for this one with a knee. If he doesn't wind up going, then you're going to be certainly out on the Lakers. If LeBron James does wind up going because he's officially listed as questionable, then you're able to back this team. But for goodness sakes, right now with the Lakers, you're getting starts out of Stanley Johnson. That's not a place where you want to be. And as we know, Russell Westbrook, has been one of the biggest calamities that we've ever seen. For a guy to fall off the face of planet Earth quite like this is just not necessarily great. And when you look at the struggles of Russell Westbrook, I don't think that there's any other way to put it. This is a really bad fit, and GM LeBron James made a just terrible decision here, deciding to trade away players that are a little bit younger do a good job of knowing their role for a guy that is very ball needy on a team that you've got one healthy Anthony Davis LeBron James, and he out there. Who thought that this was a good idea? I have absolutely no idea. It's just a case of which this is a case where you've got a team that is supposed to be trying to compete for a 2022 NBA title. Not a title on 2015 NBA 2K or NBA Live. LeBron James had absolutely no idea what he was doing with this. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. This was LeBron James' decision. He made a very bad decision, and now he wants to go out there and rip Rob Palenka, give a bunch of like sort of shade and stray bullets to other guys. And I just am not going to be feeling it with it. And with Russell Westbrook, I sure certainly do hope that he lands in another location because when he's not playing around LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two guys are very ball heavy. I do think that he's going to be able to do a little bit better. Now, Russell Westbrook certainly is always a guy in which he's going to probably give you 20 points on 20 shots, but that said, it certainly is not working out there. What I do like about this L.A. Lakers team is that they have actually been able to find a couple diamonds in the rough. And the biggest of with is Austin Reeves. I actually like what I've seen out of him. He's been able to get a couple game winners this season. He's been able to do just a good job of knowing his role. These are the sorts of guys that the Lakers need more of, like the guys that, oh, I don't know, that they want a dealing in order to get an aging guy in Russell Westbrook that just is not a fit for this team. So I do take a look at the spot. I think that the Lakers are going to be able to pull it out just by default because the Clippers are just so banged up. I'm a little bit surprised to see this game being more around to pick them. I do think that a little bit of this has to do with the fact that the Lakers and the Clippers are right now sharing a building. So I think that that is a little bit of the reason why you're not seeing the Lakers as a little bit more of a home favorite. But I do think that this can be a relatively solid spot here. For the LA Lakers with regards to the total. Just really no feel of it. You do want to be checking in on LeBron James' status. If you do like the Lakers in this spot. I think that that's important in this one. But certainly not necessarily bullish on either of these teams moving forward. Very not bullish on the Lakers as well. But by default they have to win a couple games. Because all the Clippers say themselves. They're going through it as well. With regards to going through it. You've got a Utah Jazz team that. They have been going through a whole lot of winning this season, and you're finding them as a six-point favorite against the Dallas Mavericks, and I think that this is a very intriguing spot because you do have a Mavericks team that I do see some upside with them. You've had Chris Opsporzingis not necessarily be the guy that they were hoping that he would, but at the same time, look at He, after having a little bit of a rough start to the year, many people were speculating that he came in a little bit out of shape and overweight. He's really been able to kick things up, but I do take a look at this Jazz team, and I absolutely love what I'm seeing out of them. And you've got Rudy Gobert, who has been absolutely magnificent for this team. And we're dealing with an ailment to Rudy Gay. looks like he'll probably be out of the full for the Jazz in this one. But at the same time, you still got Donovan Spider-Mitchell. And Donovan Spider-Mitchell is one of the most clutch players in the NBA. A guy that I feel like when you talk about the superstars of the NBA, he deserves a little bit more clout than he has been able to get. And he's a guy that ranks in the top 10 with regards to points per game. A guy that does a solid job of being able to dish out the ball. He comes into this one having scored 24 plus points in four of the last five games, heading into the All Star break as well. And then around him, you've got some relatively solid players like Jordan Clarkson, didn't necessarily work out in a few other locations, but a guy that's now able to give you 15 and a half points per game has made himself into a solid scorer. Not necessarily a guy that is going to be able to be like a jack of all trades or anything like that, but does a nice job to be able to put the ball in the basket. And with the Jazz, you've got that good veteran leadership in Mike Connolly. Connolly, a guy that does a good job of just being able to make winning plays, And more importantly, knows to take care of the ball as well. Because he knows that this is a Jazz team that is very versatile. He knows that the Jazz have a lot of guys that are able to put the biscuit in the basket. And he just makes sure to be able to give them the ball. Now, when it comes to this Mavericks team, I think that sort of the ceiling, how far that they're able to go in the postseason, it is going to be very reliant upon some of the guys that, are behind Luka Doncic. Like, what are you going to be able to get out of Spencer Dinwiddie? I think is a very important question to ask. He wound up being acquired about two or three weeks ago. I think that he's a guy that he can be a difference maker. Now, with Spencer Dinwiddie, I still remember he wound up having that thing out there where he would sign with the team. I think that he was, like, taking offers as to, like, a GoFundMe page to play for, like, Team X. That was one of the strangest things that we've ever seen. He wound up getting limited to just three games during the 2020-21 season due to injury. But I think that if Spencer Dinwiddie, not that he's going to be ever quite what he was a few seasons ago when he wound up averaging 20.5 points per game, but if he's able to be 75% of that, if he's a guy that can come in, give you just a burst of energy off the bench, give you like 12 or so points per game, I think that that could be very beneficial To the Dallas Mavericks team, I've loved what I've seen out of Jalen Brunson. I just think that this team is going to be a little bit limited down low. I mean, it is a Dallas Mavericks team that you just don't have a lot of guys that are able to do a great job in the post. If I'm looking anywhere, I think that Rudy Gobert is just going to be able to eat this Mavericks team alive. I think that this is just a textbook bad matchup for the Dallas Mavericks. I'd be looking a little bit more in-game. Maybe you wind up having Luka Doncic get off to a very hot start. Then you're able to get the Jazz at a little bit of a discount. Speaking of taking a look at things with regards to hardwood, we've got a lot of college basketball action that is going to be going down on Friday. Coming up next, we've hit on a few games already for the college basketball betting board, but we're going to give you some of the ones that we have yet to hit. That's right here on v the Sports Betting Network. This is the look ahead on v the Sports Betting Network. Need a little bit more college hoop to college hoops insights check out the podcast ghost ghost hoops that's with myself greg Pearson. i take a look at every single college basketball game on the board major minor what have you and you're able to find out about great betting opportunities on there i take a look at a few trends but we're all seeing college basketball recap things from the day before and then turn it forward i've got an opinion on every single college basketball betting game and i've got my picks and analysis. For every single one of them, you're able to download Coast Coast Soups now at vsinbot.com slash podcast or view your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. And while you're there, you're able to check out all of our vsin shows as it is a look at with myself, Greg Eves Peterson. Coming up in 30 minutes, you're either going to be hearing me again because, well, this show replays after it winds up going down live. So if you're listening to me live, you'll see more Greg Peterson. If you're listening to the replay at 3.30 a.m. Pacific, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. Well, in 30 minutes, it is going to be follow the money. Mitch and Paul, they are enjoying the last of their vacation before they wind up coming back next week. But we've got you all locked and loaded there. I actually wound up joining Matt Humans along Dave Ross on the show yesterday. I will not be joining once again today, unless if they wind up calling me at the last minute, I would be more than willing to oblige. I am always one that loves to be able to to talk college basketball whenever humanly possible. So you know what? You've got an opportunity to talk college basketball right about now. So let's take advantage of it. We've hit on quite a few games that we've got for Friday already, but we've got some interesting Metro Atlantic action as we've got Manhattan versus Maris, which I think is a game that is worth mentioning. So that is a game that you're finding on the betting board with Maris being right around a five and a half to a six point favorite. And when it comes to this Maris team, they're one of the most disjointed teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball in that they really don't dish out the ball. They average as a team right around 9.5 assists per game. For those of you guys looking on the rotation, this is 879, 880 with Marisol finding themselves right around 5.5 point favor with a total between 140 and 141.5 is a high watermark that I'm finding with Manhattan. I want up saying them as an underdog of right around 5.5 points, pure at the 5.5 that we're seeing at DraftKings. I would rather take the 5.5 rather than lay it just because you do have yourself a bunch of Maris I just mentioned. it. You've got a very disjointed team. And then you do have J.O. Ituka, who has been very good for this Maris team, shooting right around 48% from three-point range. He has been able to do a great job, along with also Ricardo Wright, of being able to give this team right around 29.5-ish points per game. But if you take a look at Manhattan, this has been one of the best over teams in all of college basketball. A big reason why is because... Manhattan has been able to play some relatively close games. They do play at a brisk tempo. They play right around 100th with regards to possessions per game. Maris has been able to ramp things up a little bit more as well. But Maris is a team that they do rank at the top runner with regards to possess points allowed on a per possession basis. So they've been relatively solid there. But you do take a look at this Manhattan team. 17 overs, 6 unders, and 1 push. 73.9% of their games are going over the total the only team that has a higher rate to the over this season, that would be Bowling Green, who's played 21 out of their 26 games to the over. It's just been a big, giant calamity there. But the reason why I do think that Manhattan is going to be able to hold in this game is because they do have a backcourt of Ant Nelson, coupled with Jose Perez. Perez has been able to do a great job as a stat sheet suffering. He's able to give you right around 18 points. He's able to give you four assists, five boards. So they will do a terrific job there. And then you take a look at Nelson. He does turn the ball over too much. Both of these guys, they combine to turn the ball over seven times, but Nelson shoots just below 40% from three-point range. You've also noticed that Josh Roberts, he transferred from St. John's, is been able to do a relatively solid job overall for the season. It's only giving you right around six and a half boards per game, but 11-plus rebounds, and now four out of the team's last five games. You do have a, Man- a Marist team that... They don't have a single guy. That gives you more than five rebounds per game. And Hermacy is 4.9 rebounds per game. That is right now leading the way for the team. So I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue that they are going to be facing with regards to this Marist team. What they do have going for them is the fact that they do have relatively solid balance with regards to their outside shooting. You do have a couple guys that are able to do a solid job of being able to give you a couple blocks per game. It certainly is. When it comes to the defensive end, a hole is greater than some of its parts approach. I do think that they're going to be able to Get this outright win because you do have a Manhattan team that they do a poor job of being able to guard the three-point arc. And you do have a couple headline scores for this team that do a very good job of being able to shoot it from three-point range and with Manhattan in general. They do rank 260th in the country with the guys' points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more bottled up in this game because you do have a Marist team that they're relatively solid on defense. Not necessarily 2 up tempo, point. I do think that the numbers are starting to get a little bit inflated with regards to Manhattan totals. I want to say in the total, 135 and a half, so I'm going to be diving under, and at five and a half or more, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here with Manhattan. When it comes to Sun Belt, I do think that this is a team that is really worth taking note of. That would be Arkansas State. They're going to be playing Apple I should say 885-886 on the betting board. We've got should State finding themselves as a slight underdog of two points, and your tallest game is between 131 and 132, and when it comes to Arkansas State, you've got Norshad Omir, and I absolutely love what this guy is able to do. He's been able to give this team darn near 16 points and 11.5 rebounds per game. Chips in there a little bit over a block and a steal per contest as well, so very well rounded player. He pairs very well with the backcourt. That includes Desi Sills. who is coming in from Arkansas, has been able to give the team 13 points, three assists per game, and when it comes to this Arkansas State team, each of your top four scorers do give you at least one steal per contest with... Having a guy that's able to do a good job of dishing out the ball in Caleb Fields, he's been able to chip in there right around five assists per game. And the rebounds for Ormir, if you're looking at all players in all of college basketball, he's number four with his 12.1 rebounds per game. The only guys are above him, Vada Zamek over there at Utah Valley. Oscar Sheewe, who is just an absolute machine. And Armando Bacot at there at North Carolina. So he's in some very good company there. Then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of this bunch in Appalachian State and it's really had to be Adrian Delph who's had to do it all and a big reason why is because Justin Forrest a guy that two seasons ago averaged 17 and a half points per game he just says really not been good this year he's giving you 8.9 points per game on 25 percent three-point shooting it was ever the most efficient shooter to start with but I mean, it was more like 32 33 percent you'd be able to give you like 15 points on 15 shots now he's giving you eight points on like 13 shots. It's been really bad. So Adrian Delph, a got this able to give you 17 points. shoots in the mid 30s from three point range. He's had to be the entire offense for the team. Donovan Gregory's been able to chip in their five and a half rebounds for him. Justin Lewis does a solid job down low. But with Appalachian State, I'm just not very bullish on this team in general. It's an Appalachian State team that they do a good job, but not turning the ball over. That is the best attribute that they've got. They turn the ball over fewer than 10 times per game in the top 25 with regards to turn turnovers on a per-possession basis. They do rank in the bottom 30 with regards to total possessions per game as well. So this is a team that they are very much looking to slow things down. But if you take a look at just points allowed on a per-possession basis, you'd expect Appalachian State to be a little bit better than 134th. You've got Arkansas State. They're right in the same neighborhood as them. Arkansas State is a team that also has been able to do a solid job of being able to not turn the ball over themselves. Arkansas State 135th with regards to um, points allowed on a per possession basis. When you've got all that you've got with guys like a Marquise Eaton being able to give you double figures, shoots the ball from three-point range, I think that it makes it a hard matchup for an apply. It's just a team that, I'll call it what it is, I'm just not bullish on them. They don't necessarily do anything other than not turning the ball over very well. You don't have those headline scores. You don't have a team that necessarily executes at the free line either. I want to say Arkansas State as a four and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. I also did wind up saying the total at a one thirty and a half because of how slowly Appalachian State does wind up playing. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at laying here with Arkansas State. You've got another intriguing game out here on the board in St. Peter's versus Monmouth. Monmouth is going to be finding themselves as a favorite of four points. This is 875, 876 on the betting board. And finding the total anywhere between one thirty and a half and one thirty two and a half with Monmouth, you do now have Shavar Reynolds back at the full He and George Pappas. have been able to combine for 29 points out there in the backcourt. And these guys necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, but what you do like about Monmouth is that they do a good job of being able to execute late because they shoot as a collective about 74.9% at the free line that's in the top 50 in all of college basketball. They're going up against the St. Peter's bunch that has been a little bit better with regards to the way that they've been able to shoot at the charity stripe right around 69.5%. The big bugaboo in this game, though, is the fact that you've got a St. Peter's bunch that they are turning the ball over right around 14 and a half times per contest? You need them to be a little bit better with that aspect. Casey who led all of college basketball with regards to blocks per game last season. He sounded more like two and a half blocks per game this season. Ian Fusani Drame have been able to combine for about 12 and a half rebounds per game. So that's going to be tough for Monmouth to be able to match up with. But the brother of West Miller in Walker Miller has been able to do a good job down low for this Monmouth team. With Monmouth, he's able to give you right in the pocket of about 6.5 rebounds, 15 points per game. Actually shoots right around 29 to 30% from three-point range. Monmouth, as a collective, they've seen their three-point shooting percentage fall to 31.5%. It's a big reason why they've been one of the better teams of the under in all of college basketball. they played darn near two-thirds of their games through the under, but the big reason why I do think the Monmouth is going to be able to take control of this game is because they've got Nakaya Ruti down low. He's been a guy that overall has been able to give you 7.8 rebounds per game. Not a scorer, only 3.3 points per game, but take a look at it. A combined 32 rebounds in the last two games. He has been able to give you six rebounds or more in every single one of the team's games ever since January 23rd. When it comes to this Monmouth team, I want to thank them also as a four-point favorite. would much rather lay the four than take the four with their free throw shooting. I also do I'm saying this sold out 132, so I'm going to be taking a look at an over. In the final segment, going to give you guys my college basketball pick for... For DK Nation, along with just what I like in general on the board for Friday. That's up next, right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vsin.com check out the current betting splits data. This new feature gives you insights on where the money and the bets are moving for every single game. You'll be able to see where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money does not match up with the public opinion. Betting splits are available for money line, over, under, and against the spread bets. And betting splits are another way that Vsin is here to make you a better, better year-round. So, check out today's betting splits for every single game at vsin.com as it is the final segment of The Lookout with myself, Greg eves And if you're listening to me live, well, you get me again for another three hours. If you're listening to the replay, that would be at 6.45 PM, a.m. Eastern time. If you're listening p.m., you're probably listening to the podcast. 3.45 a.m. Pacific time. Follow the money is going to be coming up in 15 minutes. I tell you right now, from joining Dave Ross and Matt humans on the show yesterday, those guys are doing an absolutely terrific job. Everyone that's been filling in for Mitch and Pauly, they've been doing absolutely amazing work as Mitch and Pauly getting some well-deserved time off as they put in a whole bunch of work during the NFL season. And they're going to be firing all cylinders when it comes to college basketball season as well. And speaking of firing all cylinders, coming to the college basketball season, I hope to be doing so myself. I give out a write-up every single day on a play that I like for DK Nation. And the one that we're going with today, we are going to be going with the smart kids. How about if we go Harvard versus Princeton and it's a spot in which I'm gonna be liking a total here as we wind up going 887, 888 on the betting board. Princeton's a seven and a half point favorite, and your total is anywhere between one forty two and one forty-three. I want to say my total at a one forty-six and a half. So I do like the over in this spot because you've got a Princeton team that with regards to possessions per game, they're a little bit more up tempo. It's not necessarily anything extreme. They're right around 115th, 120th with regards to possessions per game, but This team is 14th in the country with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. They have scored at least 69 points in now 22 straight games. Now, you're going up against a Harvard team that they rank in the top 85 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Without Chris Ludlum in the fold, they have slowed down a little bit prior to his injury. A guy that was able to give the team 16 points, 9.5 rebounds per game, wound up going down in early January. Prior to that, they were ranking right around 45th, 50th with regards to possessions per game. Now they have fallen to right around 100, so they've been a very average tempo team without him in the fold in these last 10 games. But with that said, you still do have a Princeton team that they do go bombs away from three-point range. They shoot as a collective right around 37.7%. They're going up against a Harvard team that is 296th in the country with the guards opponents' three-point shooting percentage. And in true road games, they allow opponents to shoot 38.1% from distance. That is a big, giant recipe for disaster. And then you've got a a team that they just get it from a whole bunch of different guys. Shalen Llewellyn, who has been around the block for this team. He has been very solid, being able to give you right around 15 or so points per game. He shoots in the high 30s from three range. with Harvard. Gotta like what you be to get out of Noah Kirkwood as well. Kirkwood has been Mr. Do-It-All, especially ever since Ludlum has been out of the fold. He was doing that a little bit earlier, but now he's had to really kick it up in big-time for us. He's a guy that has been able to give you overall for the year right around 18 points, five and a half boards, three assists, 2.1 steals, and he also leads the team in blocks. He might be the only player in all of college basketball that leads the team in all five different categories. You're going to need to get some pieces like a Lucas Dakota to be able to help out with this team. He's been able to give you 11.5 points per game. Does shoot 38.5% from three. Harvard has collective. He 69% of the charity stripe 34% from three-point range. It's just a case in which they've been dealing with a bunch of injuries. Edon Tretot has been able to give you 8.5 points per game whenever he's been out there, but he pretty much went out during the same time as Chris Ledlam, so they've had to try to persevere without him. You've been having a recent ailment to Luis Lesman. He's missed each out of the last about six or so games, so... As heard this team, Kale Catchings has been a little bit in the fold. Now he should be good to go on this one. Wound up having 10.7 boards in the team's last matchup, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job as a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player. But when it comes to the Princeton team, they are going to have one of the more versatile players out there as well. Tissan, I always say this last name incorrectly. Evohman, he's been able to do a really solid job at six foot eight. Not a guy that's going to shoot threes, but gives you 15 and a half points. Five assists, six and a half rebounds, seal and a half per contest. It's a Princeton team that, as a collective, they only get right around six and a half seals per contest. And the big thing with Princeton is that they do shoot just 65 and percent at the free line. But with that said, among your top five scorers, four of them for Princeton do shoot at least 70% at the free line. So the guys that oftentimes find themselves there at the end of games, they do a relatively solid job. You've got Drew Fireberg along Brian Langbord. I mentioned Llewellyn along with Ethan Wright. These are four of your top five scorers and they all shoot at least 37.8% from three-point range. And what I really like about what you're able to get out of Ethan Wright, he chips in there seven and a half boards and a little bit over a seal per game as well. So very well-rounded guy. With Princeton, I am willing to lay up to eight and a half with them. They've already pulled off some nice wins earlier this the season, including going on the road and knocking off an Oregon State team that, well, I mean, USC could tell you how difficult it was to be able to get that win. Oregon State only three straight-up wins, so that gets diminished a little bit, but still, Going on the road, being able to get that win is relatively solid. And for Harvard, they just haven't necessarily been the same team without Ludlum in the fold. So I'm willing to leave points with Princeton. And what I want up writing up for DK Nation, that would be the total. And I am taking a look at that total over. What else we're taking a look at is a game out here in the West Coast. How about if we go with the biggest spread on the board? This would be 897, 898. San Jose State, they go on the road to face off against San Diego State. San Diego State is a 22-point favorite. Your total you're going to be finding at any routine, a 125 and a 125 and a half San Diego State team that has been just absolutely bearing down on defense. San Diego State plays at a very slow, very controlled style. Really, both of these teams play very slow. San Diego State, 311th with regards to possessions per game. San Jose State is actually slower at 320th, and you can't get much more different when it comes to the defensive efficiencies with these teams. San Jose State is 347th in the country with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis. San Diego State, number one. In San Diego State, they're better at home than they are on the road. They're giving up 9.7 points per one on possession basis. Fewer, on, uh, fewer at home rather than on the road. So they have been absolutely dominant at the VIL Center. Now, with that said, with the San Jose State team, I think that they're catching a couple too many points here. Because you do have Abrima Diallo, he has come back from being a from being banged up. He was a gentleman that transferred in from Ohio State. Have been missing about the last month, month and a half or so. You want to returning in the team's most recent game against New Mexico was able to have a nice impact there. Guy that overall for the year has been able to give you six-half rebounds per game. So you should be able to do a solid job in this matchup. And San Jose State, not necessarily the world's worst offense. They're a team that they shoot just below 40% from three-point range. You're in the top 30. And all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage, they're a team that as a collective has been turning the ball over a little bit too much. That has really been a big reason why they've had some of their issues there. But you do have Amari Moore. Moore is someone that has been able to lead the team in points, rebounds, and assists, being able to give you right around 13 and a half ish points, five boards, few assists per game. So has been able to do a relatively solid job there. And with San Diego State, what is I think gonna be a real limiter for this game because they are a team that they do play at a very slow style and you need to be really efficient to be able to cover a number like 22 points. Is that you've only got one primary scorer? Matt Bradley has been absolutely terrific ever since really the beginning of the month of December. He's been shooting darn near 45% from three-point range overall for the year, 41.5% from distance, 17 points per game. He's the only guy on the team that gives you more than 7.8 points per game. Now you've got four guys behind him that average between 7.4 and 7.8 points per game, including Nathan Menza who's able to give you 2.2 blocks and seven rebounds per game. So. He's been rock solid there. you got a guy in Lamont Butler who's been able to chip in there right around 1.8 seals per game, shoots in the mid 30s from three-point range. And overall, San Diego State, they do shoot right around 35.5% from three-point range. But I think that when you need to just be as efficient as you need to be to be able to win a game by 22 points and having such few possessions, it is a lot to ask. San Jose State has been able to provide betters with some covers against some relatively solid teams this year. I think that they're going to be able to do the same here. I do like the fact that San Jose State is coached by Tim Miles as well. I think that he's really been able to do a solid job in your number one through this program. And I think that he's gonna be able to lead you to a cover. Now, I don't think that's necessarily gonna be the world's most comfortable cover. As I want to saying my spread on this game at twenty-one, I want to make my total one twenty-three and a half because I do think that with having San Jose State as inefficient as they are with being able to take care of the ball and San Diego State being a team that does a absolutely terrific job on defense. It is going to lead to a little bit of an under, but I think that we've gotten a little bit too lofty with the San Diego State spread. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be willing to take the points here with San Jose State. Also, we're going to have to do this quickly because we are nearly out of time, but Iona, you're finding them laying between 15 and 15 and a half points against Canisius. This is 877, 878 on the betting board. I think Iona's gotten up a little bit too lofty with some of these spreads. I'm saying this one at a fourteen. Got an Iona team that they're very good at being on block shots, but relatively pedestrian on offense. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points and something that I always love to take a look at. It's great content, and you've always got that over here at the Sports Betting Network, VSIN. If you're listening to the replay of this show, you're going to be getting Follow the Money coming up next. If you're listening to be live, Follow the Money is coming up in three hours. As I'm going to be coming up once again right here on VSN, the Sports Betting Network, with the look. at so, be on the lookout for Follow the Money and a great day right here on VSN.